I walk around too much, so I'm going to move this over so I don't trip myself. That would not be good. Everybody's worried about me falling off the front in the other room, so this one's like a little better. But uh, So uh, I have started um, coaching uh, my boys in basketball the last couple months. Uh, those of you that know me, I, I've talked about it before. I, I love basketball. I grew up playing it. I used to coach uh, a lot um, growing up, like high school and different things. And so it's fun now that my boys are getting to the age where I get to coach them. And I was thinking about why I like doing it. And one of the things that was coming to mind as I was thinking about it as a basketball coach or just a coach in any sport is you kind of stand back. You get to watch kind of what's happening on the floor and you see kind of the whole of what's going on. Something that if you've ever played a sport, when you're in the middle of it, it's hard for you to understand what everybody's doing and what's going on all around you. And it's hard for you to take it in. And so you need a coach that can stand back and see everything that's happening and try to put everybody together and get them on the same page. But then as part of it, and I've noticed this with my older son uh, playing now, they're getting to the age where they're starting to understand what's happening and how to play together and they're more aware of what's going on. And one of the things you try to teach them is that you need to help one another as you're playing. Now, this is particularly true in basketball when you're playing defense. If I'm playing defense and the guy's got the ball and he's right in front of me and I'm focused on what's happening right in front of me, I can't really see what's going on behind me. I can't take all of it in at the same time, and so I need my teammates to call out and tell me what's going on. And so one of the things in coaching that you do, especially as kids get older and they start to understand, is you have to tell them that you need to communicate to one another, and you need to call out what's going on behind you. And that's what a good team does, and that's what it looks like. Because the truth is, when we're playing and we're in the middle of it, and we're focused on what's going on right in front of us, we have all sorts of blind spots around us that we can't see everything else that's happening. And it's not only true in sports, it's true in business or if you run a business or you have a company or you work in a place where there's lots of people involved, it's hard for you to understand everything that's going on with everybody all around you. And so good managers or good leaders will help kind of get everybody on the same page and how to do that and how you work together and how you make uh, up for other people's uh, strengths and weaknesses and how they all go together. Uh, we could say the same is true, not just uh, in sports or in business, but the same would be true uh, in the military. You have to be prepared as you go into hostile situations or you go into battle and you have those other soldiers with you who are watching your back. The things that you can't see all of it and you need them there watching your back, pointing out to you in your blind spots. And so the same is true in sports, the same is true in business, the same is true in the military, and the same is true in our lives. We need other people involved in our life that are seeing the parts that we can't see, that are speaking into our blind spots. Uh, some of that's through experience. Uh, we need those that have gone before us, that have a little more wisdom, to be able to speak into different areas of our life at different times. And so we need other people in that. And so it's true in all these areas, whether it's sports or business or, or the military or our life. But it's never more true than when we seek to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, we're talking about last week and this week and next week for three weeks, just discipleship in general. Growing in obedience to Jesus in every area of our life. It is the mission that Jesus gave us as his church say this every week or as often as it comes up, the church is you, not this building or not this place, but we together collectively are the body of Christ. We are his church and we are called to make disciples that make disciples. And we need one another in that process, speaking truth into one another's lives because we've all got blind spots. 
We've all got areas that we need other people to help us in. We need a community around us to live out what God has called us to be. And so this morning we're going to continue in Ephesians chapter four, just in this short series we're doing for three weeks. We're really just working through this one chapter in Ephesians four. And last week we talked about how God gifts us differently, that every single one of us who has come to faith in Christ has specific spiritual gifts that God has gifted you with. And so you are needed in this body because you bring something that we all need. And God's designed us that way. And I want us to think more fully today, just kind of the next step of how we live that out in community and why that's so vital as we continue to move through Ephesians chapter four. And so here's what I want us to consider this morning is we're going to pick up in verse 11 and we're going to work through verse 24 that Dennis just read for us. I want us to consider first kind of this foundational principle that has to guide us as a community of believers. We all have to come under one thing together. I want to talk about that for just a minute and why that's so important. And then secondly, as we do that, why we need to apply this in a community. And there's some dangers here that Paul alludes to that we'll talk about that if we seek to do it on our own or in isolation that we're susceptible to. And we need to be aware of those. And it helps point us back to why community is so very vital and important for all of us. And then the last part I want us to consider is why we do this and how are we doing? Why we do it and how we're doing So let's just start with a big picture, kind of the foundational principle that has to guide us as a community of believers. And so if we go back to where we were last week, each one of you is gifted specifically. God has blessed you. In verse seven, he says, uh, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts that God has gifted you very particularly for the good of this body. And then in verse 11, it says, and he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And we talked about that last week, that God brings leaders into the church to help equip the saints. That's you. If you are in Jesus Christ, you are a saint. If you have a problem with that, come talk to me. We talked about it last week, but your righteousness, the reason you're a saint is because your righteousness is in Jesus And he is perfect in every way and you are now in him. And so the Bible can rightly call you a saint. And so he equips says we will be equipped for the work of the saints. Right. So we can do ministry together. But I want you to see the way he's talking about it. And this is kind of this foundational principle that is so important. In verse 13, he says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And and there's an importance here. The leadership in the church is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry so that we can minister together. So we can grow up into the fullness of what we are created to be. But notice he says in verse 13, to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God. If you read elsewhere in scripture, when it talks about leadership within the church, often referred to as elders. Pastors and elders often used synonymously in the New Testament. And you start to look at uh, the uh, qualifications of an elder and what it says. And it talks about character and their life and the way they're living. But then the key qualification of an elder that it says is they must be able to teach and rebuke or reproof bad doctrine. Teach sound doctrine. Teach God's word and hold it up for us and show us. But also uh, rebuke bad doctrine. And it's an important part. 
And so when he says here, uh, being equipped for the work of the ministry until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, it's so important for us as a body of believers who's seeking to do this together that we need to be reminded that all of us come under the authority of God's Word. This is the, the non-negotiable of who we are as a body of believers. That we are going to come under God's word and what he says, and that is going to stand over all of us. That is going to be the authority to which we all appeal. And that's important that you hear me say that. As an elder in this church, the authority doesn't lie with me. It doesn't lie with the elders in and of us. It is for us to point you to what the Bible says. God is the authority and his word is the authority. Jesus is the head of the church, no man. And so you'll hear me say, if you go through our new member class, I'll say this frequently. If I ever say something in a sermon as we're going through and you go, I don't think that's what it means. Or I don't think that's what it says. I want to know it. I want you to come tell me. Because the authority does not rest in me. It is in God's word. And if I'm misapplying it or I'm seeing it wrongly, I need to know that and we need to repent and we need to hold to what God's word says. He is our authority. And the way he's revealed himself to us. And that is a non-negotiable of what it means to be a community of faith that is following hard after Jesus. His word has to stand over all of us. His word is the authority. And so we seek to do that here in different ways. There's different avenues in which we seek to, to lay that out as a body of believers. Hopefully, it makes sense as I say this, but we come here and we gather for worship and right here in the middle of our time, we take time and we do this. We go through Ephesians 4 and we open God's word and we do what we call uh, exegetical teaching. I am seeking to exegete or explain the text to you as plainly as I can. Here's what it says and here's what I think Paul's intended meaning was to the Ephesians as God inspired it. And this is what God is telling us about who he is and who we are in light of it. And I want you to see it right here in the text. And so we work through books of the Bible and chapters of the Bible and through these texts so that we would be looking at it together and we collectively are coming under the authority of God's word. That's why we preach and teach the way we do. But it's not just in sermons. There's other avenues in which we do that. We do that in our missional community groups. And we do that in DNA groups. Missional communities is community groups that get together throughout the week. And we spend time together and we pray together. We spend time in God's word. We invite people into that with us that don't yet know Jesus to experience what a community of faith looks like. But in that, we're coming under the authority of God's word together. The same with a DNA group. A DNA group is three or four men meeting together or three or four ladies meeting together and reading through God's word and confessing sin and encouraging one another and walking. And what we're trying to do in those settings is come under the authority of God's word. That we grow in obedience together through what God has said to us and who he is and what he's like and what it means for us. We also do that in equipping classes. Right? So first Sunday of the month, we're doing equipping class. We talk about different topics and how we grow in these things. You're all invited to that. So the first Sunday of the month at nine o'clock, we'll do that. And then we have Bible studies going on in our our uh, body at different times, different Bible studies where we come and we study the word together. But in every single one of those environments, we're looking to place ourselves under the authority of God's word. And to remind one another 
that our authority, the authority of our church rests in what God has said and what he has revealed in his word. And so this has to be the organizing principle. And I want you to see why this is so important as we seek to follow Jesus, that we are letting his word stand over us. Look at what Paul writes here in verse 13 and 14. He says, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And the truth is for every single one of us, even if we come uh, to faith and we put our faith in Christ, we say, I'm now a believer. If we're not actively seeking to be discipled and to come under the authority of God's word, we will be discipled by something else. We are constantly bombarded by messages and worldviews and things every single day of our life. Things are coming to bear on the way we think and the way we see things. And we're hitting we're hit with messages all the time. And Paul says we need to grow up into the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood so that we're no longer children that are tossed to and fro. He says that we're not easily deceived by the things that come at us and what the world says and the common sense of our day. The things that our culture would say, well, this is what's true. And if we're not spending time holding that up to God's word and what God has said and what he has revealed, then we can easily start to drift into that. He says that's what a child looks like, that we're easily tossed to and fro in these different ways. But notice he says carried away by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Paul will talk about this regularly, that we do not wage against just flesh and blood, but there's a lot more going on than we can even see that there's a spiritual battle for ideas. And it's all around us, whether we recognize it or not. Satan seeks to seek and destroy what is God's and try to manipulate and distort. Take something that's 95% true and then switch it just a little bit to get you off track. He says we're easily deceived if we're not growing into full, uh, into maturity and holding fast to God's word and letting it stand over us. And so the first thing I want us just to consider here is how foundational this is to growing as a disciple of Jesus. That we would let God's word stand over us. Uh, we just did in the equipping class this morning. Talked about how Jesus says in John 15. You abide in me and my word in you and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me you can do nothing. And he says it so clearly. That this is what it looks like. If you want to grow as a disciple of Jesus you abide in my word. And so that has to be foundational. And, and I think... In our church, if we went around and we polled and we kind of talked about it, I think we hold a high value on God's word here. I think most people go, yeah, I believe that. I believe that to be true, that I should be spending time in God's word and the Bible's important. But what I often run up against is when we talk about this, we, we say, yes, I'll agree. And yes, I'll do a Bible reading plan. And yes, I'll do these things. Or I should be doing these things. I'm going to seek those. But what often happens is people immediately hear that and they put it in individualistic terms. Yeah, I'll do that. And I will read my Bible. And I'll read a book. And I'll do this. And they see all of it individually. Now that's not a fault. I think that's just our culture. 
We live in such an individualistic society. That's the way we hear things. We immediately go, yes, this is how I will do it. And this is what it will look like for me. But here's the thing I want you to see that Paul's pointing us to why it's so vital that we do this within community. That it's not just individual. That we need others speaking into our lives and being part of it. And so look at what he says again there in verse 14 and then 15. He says, so that you may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And the first thing I want you to see here, he says that we need others speaking the truth and love to us. And we'll talk about what that means in a moment. But we need that community because otherwise we're like children who are tossed to and fro by the winds and doctrines that are around. And the first thing I want you to consider is when we seek to do this in isolation, and this is true of all of us, whether you're a brand new believer or you've been following Jesus for a long time. We don't know what we don't know. When we're children who are tossed to and fro by the waves and the winds of the doctrines and the things around, those people that he's talking about don't know that that's happening to them. They hear the, the culture and what it says and the way we hear about things. We go, oh yeah, that sounds about right. I think that's true. I think that's good. And they don't realize it. And there's an importance that we would speak the truth to one another, that we would use the gifts that God's given us and the wisdom and the leadership equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, that we would do this together. Because the simple truth is you don't know what you don't know. Said at the beginning, I've been coaching my boys in basketball and it's been fun. Jed is now getting really into it. And he's gone from like two years ago of being okay to actually being pretty good. He's made a huge leap forward and he's getting pretty good at basketball and he really likes it. And he's starting to understand it and he's starting to think about it. And so I'm getting to coach his, his all-star team this year. And that's, that's fun to get to be part of that. But he came to me the other day and he said, Dad, uh, I got a play we could do for all-stars. And I said, okay, what is it? He's like, we're going to do four out and we're going to put these guys out here and we're going to do this. And it was a, it wasn't a bad play. What he was saying was not wrong. He had seen it on TV or something or the middle school team or some somewhere he'd seen it. And there's nothing wrong with it. But we we're talking about playing against a certain defense and a certain team. And what he was saying would not work against what we're talking about. And I started to ask him some questions. I said, so what if they put defenders right here and we put our guys right there? What's going to happen? And he's like, well, our guys are going to be right where their defenders are. I was like, do you think that's going to work very well? And he went, I don't know. I don't think so. I said, that's okay. It's a good play. It's just not for this against this right here. And we started to talk about why. And he was so excited about doing this and wanting to do the play. But the truth is, he doesn't know what he doesn't know. He hasn't thought through what the other team's trying to do and how that would work and how it would go together. And he's just got enough knowledge now to think he knows. If you've ever met a teenager. <laughs> I think I know a lot more than I actually know. And I think I've got this figured out. Well, that's all of us. It's not just a teenager. 
It's not just a child. It's not just at certain, all of us at different times. I've got this figured out and I know and I've got it all. But the truth is you don't know what you don't know. And so when he talks here about being tossed to and fro by human cunning and deceitful, when, when that's happening, we often don't know that. And so it's vitally important that we have other people that are speaking into our life. Because we don't see those. And so I say that's the first warning that I just want to make you aware of. In our immaturity, oftentimes we don't know the areas that we're weak. And we need others with us in that. But the second thing I would say to you is when we don't have others speaking the truth into us, because he tells us to speak the truth and love with one another that we grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. If we're not doing that, then we begin to live in isolation. And there's a really scary thing in our culture right now. And I'm not saying it wasn't around in other ways. It's easier now than I think it's ever been in the history of the world. If I have a bias or something that I want to believe is true, I can go online right now today and find some very plausible arguments from the Bible to confirm exactly what I want to believe. It is really easy. People take all sorts of things from the Bible and they take it out of context and they give no uh, care to God's word and holding fast to what it means and its original meaning and the author writing to certain people and they rearrange it and they go, ah, this is true. And if you want to believe that, you can go find whatever you want to believe. And when you do that in isolation or you do that as someone who's a new believer, or you do that who, who someone, and this is all of us, has a blind spot in certain areas. And you go, I got this, and I'll do this myself, and I'll do it in isolation, and I'll listen to the people. What can happen, and this is a very scary thing, is we can end up uh, having really poor theology that goes unchallenged. We can be talking about God in ways that He has not revealed Himself. We can be attributing things to God and saying God is like this and it's the opposite of what God is like. It's the opposite of what his word says. Or not only can it go unchallenged, it can be reinforced. That is what God's like. And you can go find other people that think exactly the way you think and have all your biases confirmed and go, look at me, I'm growing up. And all along the way, we're going the opposite way from what God says in his word. That's a scary thing. That's why we need to always be coming under the authority of God's word. We always need to be speaking truth to one another. We need to be holding fast to what it says, because when we don't, that can become a very scary thing. But there's one one more uh, warning, I would say here. There's a warning against you not knowing what you don't know. Right? There's the isolation, but then there's also look at what he says in verse 17. Now I say this and I testify on the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And just so we're clear here, Paul says this at different times. He will use the term Gentile as kind of a catch all for unbelievers. Those that are not yet believers. That doesn't mean a Gentile can't be a believer. A Gentile is a non-Jewish person. Doesn't mean that Gentiles aren't believers. He will say that very clearly. Talk about how we're all one in Christ, whether Jew or Gentile. That's not what he's saying. But when he talks about Gentiles here, when he's saying that, he's talking about unbelievers. 
And so he says, you should not walk in the same way as an unbeliever does. And then look at what he says in verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice all kinds of impurity. But that is not what you learned in Christ. And so he says, this is what happens when we we uh, we should not be living as a believer like an unbeliever. But I, I would include that to be if the only community in your life that's helping you walk out your faith and you've now become a believer is that you are surrounded by unbelievers only. Those that, as he says here, walk in the futility of their minds and they're darkened and their understanding and they're alienated from the life of God. That means that doesn't mean you don't be friends with people that don't yet know Jesus. But you don't allow that to be the entirety of the influence in your life. If you are walking in that way where everyone around you are unbelievers and they're all speaking the truth of of our culture and of the day, that's going to cause all sorts of problems. You're going to be discipled in a way that is opposite of the way of Jesus. There's no neutral And if we're constantly in that, that's a very difficult situation to be in. If we're disproportionately influenced by those that, as the Bible would call, what Paul says in Ephesians 2, are spiritually dead. They don't understand who God is and what that's like. But yet you're going to allow that to be the whole of your community. It's a scary place to be. I was thinking about how hard that is today in the sense of, I, I see this all the time. It concerns me with my children and what they're growing up in and what they see and the messages they're bombarded with. It made me think of a, a, a poll a couple of years ago. It was a, a Christian dating site. Right? So, so a website specifically designed for Christians to find other Christians to date. And that's the whole of their goal and their ends. And they did a poll about People who use their site, who profess to be Christians, and what they think about dating and sexuality and all these things. And as I read it, it said 61% of those professing to be Christians who use this website have no problem with sex outside of marriage. 61%. 56% have no problem of living together after six months of dating. But the thing that just dumbfounded me over 30 percent said that they would have sex on the first date and these are people who are professing to be christians now i'm not saying whether they are or they aren't or where they are but that is their view of sexuality and the way they see it and so there's there's two things i want to say about that just so we're clear the bible says that sex is designed by god to be partaken of in the covenant of marriage, one man and one woman in a committed monogamous relationship for life. This is God's design. That's what he's called us to. He says, this is the way I've designed it. This is the way it works best. And this is what it looks like. And so I read these statistics of people that are confessing to be Christians and they're saying this is the way they see it. They have not been discipled in the way of Jesus. There's a huge disconnect versus what the Bible clearly calls us to and says and what they're seeking to live out. But the second thing I want to say about that. 61%. That means the look around the room. 
that we've not all done that well. We all haven't waited till marriage or maybe outside of marriage or those things that are happening. And so please hear me in this. God loves you. He calls you to this because he loves you and he has a better plan for you than what the world says. And that when you blow it, that you confess your sins and he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And we, we have done poorly, God can remake. God is the God who recreates. He's the God who redeems and brings us back into a relationship with him. And so we want to make sure that we put that in the proper context. We are called to holiness and to live this way. But when we blow it, God still loves us and he is still at work. And he can redeem those mistakes that we've made. He can bring life out of the things we've done poorly. And so I would say to you, if you're struggling with that right now, confess your sins. Come to Jesus, lay that before him and seek to walk after him in faithfulness. Now, all that to say, bring that back to this. He says here that we are to speak the truth in love. Growing up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And so we are called as a body of believers that when we're not operating in the ways that God calls us to speak the truth to one another. This is not what God has for you. But what does that look like to speak the truth in love? It's not to walk around and look over everybody's shoulder and you're a sinner and you're doing it bad and you're doing it bad and don't do this and don't do this. It's for us to walk lovingly together where there is sin in our life that we speak up and we speak the truth to one another. This is not what God has called you to. He has something better for you than this. But then more importantly, as we begin to see that, we need to see the sin underneath the sin. Not just behavior. Let me say this. Maybe think about how I said I don't care about behavior modification. I want your heart to change to the point that you love God so much and what he's done for you. And Jesus, you want every part of your life to glorify him. All of it. Not just the parts I want to. Every bit of it. And so when we speak the truth in love to one another, what I mean by that is seeing what is it that I'm not believing about true, is true about God that I would then seek this thing that He says not to do. You understand that what I'm doing when I do that is I'm not believing what God has said. He says, this is what's true about sexuality. One man, one woman for life, committed monogamous relationship. I go, I don't think that works for me. That's unbelief. I'm saying, I don't think you know what you're talking about and I know better. What is the sin underneath that? What is the truth that I need to hear? I need to hear that God alone will satisfy my deepest needs. I'm not going to find it in a person. I'm not going to find it in sex. I'm not going to find it in going after things of this world and hoping that they will fulfill me or satisfy me. They won't. Only God can do that. And what he's done for me in Jesus and my relationship with him. And I need to hear that truth. Because when I don't, I am unbelief about that in my life. And I need people who love me 
to surround me and see those blind spots in my life and say, you need to hear the truth. This is who God is. And this is the way he's designed you. And this is the way he loves you. And this is what he's calling you into for your good and his glory. And so please hear this. When we read through this and we talk about discipleship and what it looks like, none of us can do this on our own. None of us sees our blind spots. That's why they're blind spots. That's why they're called that. All of us, every single one of us has areas in our life. Like, ah, I got it together. And somebody goes, ah, I don't know. And we're supposed to do that lovingly and caringly. And asking questions, speaking the truth in love and walking together. But we need other people speaking into our lives. And I would say to you this. Not only do we need other people, but we need people who will say it. It's one thing to see it. They go, oh, that's not good. But I don't want to say something because they're going to get upset at me. You understand when we do that? We don't speak the truth in love as he tells us to do here. Often it's because we care more what people think than what God says. I'm not believing that God is glorious. I go, I don't want to say that. They're going to get upset. That's selfish on my part. If, if they're doing something or we're not speaking the truth to one another and it's in direct conflict with what God says and we see it and we recognize it and we don't say something, it's because we care more what people think than what God says. And I need to repent of that. I need to be reminded that God is more glorious than anything else. And so we speak the truth and love to one another. And we need other people to be part of that. And so let's just end here with this. So why do that? I said this last week. I think I said it two weeks ago. This is harder than just coming and sitting here and then slipping out the back. It is. I'm just going to tell you, it's a lot harder. It's easier if you go to a really big church where you can slip in and out the back and no one knows you. And they never ask anything. And if you're not there, nobody cares and nobody pays attention. I'm not saying they don't mean to. That's not a I don't mean that as a bad thing against certain churches or anything. Just by the sheer volume of people, it's hard. That's easier. So why do this? Why open up and be involved and have people speak into your life and speak the truth? It's the way God has designed you. And it's what it's called us to. And I would say, He is worth it. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Jesus came and did for you what you could never do for yourself. And He has purchased you. You are not your own. Your body is now a temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. And God has good works for you to walk out that He's created you for. And he says, you need other people to come into your life and to speak truth into you so that we grow up into the fullness of that. And it's harder, but it's way better. And it's the way God's designed you to be. And so let me just ask this question. You can only answer this. And I would ask you to to pray and take that before God in your own life. How are you doing? How are you doing in terms of being in community? How are you doing in inviting people into your life to speak the truth to you? Have you ever said that to another believer? If you see anything in me that is not aligning with God's word, you have permission to speak into my life. 
It's not an easy thing to say. It's not the thing that we all jump right up and go, hey, everybody speak into how jacked up I am. But when we do that in the way God's called us to, it's not just saying, hey, you're all messed up. It's we're not believing this is true about God, but this is what is true about God. And hear the truth of God's word and the glory of the gospel and the way he forgives you and what he has for you. It's not to beat each other up. It's to remind one another of what is true about God. None of us can do that on our own. And so I just want to invite you into a missional community group. I want to invite you into a DNA group where you spend time with other people in God's word. I want to invite you into there's two ladies Bible studies that are just starting up again as you learn and you walk through that together. And all these avenues are ways that we're seeking to do this as a body of believers. And challenge you to step into something deeper than just being here on Sunday morning. The people would know what's going on in your life, that they would speak the truth to you and that we would be growing together into the fullness of what God has created us to be. Let me pray. God, we thank you for the glorious truth of your word. We thank you that you love us so much that you call us in to community in these ways that we can speak the truth to one another, that we can encourage one another, that we can continue to walk together for for your glory and our good. I pray that you'd continue to show us the ways in which you call us into this. I pray for each person here. That you tell us through the Spirit that you come and you bring healthy conviction. That you show us the areas that we need to be convicted and then you point us to Jesus and what he's done for us. And so I just pray that you would do that for each one of us. If there's areas in our life we need to step in more fully into community in the way that you've designed us, that you would show us that. But then you would also give us the courage to make the steps to step into that more fully. Uh, We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.